0: Um, Our reading today is from Psalm 122. Um, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Well, I hope you'll turn with me to Psalm 122 as we continue our sermon series, The Songs for the Journey, a study through these psalms, beginning in one Psalm 120. This week we're on our third week, Psalm 122. You will want to follow along with me. These are some of the most precious calls to worship that are in the scriptures. Uh, there are are many things that we have to give thanks for in this passage. Um, this morning I was uh, remembering the story, many of you may know it, the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan, and so on, right? Many of you know that story. In that story, there is a lion, and he is the Jesus character, and there are a group of children who go to the land of Narnia, all right, the place where Aslan treads. And in uh, that story, there's a, a group in the early 80s that set that story to music, Second chapter of Acts wrote an album called The Roar of Love. And in that album, the first words on that album are, Are you going to Narnia? Take me along with you to meet the Lamb who is the Lion. I want to learn to love Him too. Friends, that is the call to worship. That's the joy of David. In this psalm, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go up to the house of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your call and your provision. We thank you, Lord, that you are the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that you have established your kingly reign. Lord, we long for the coming of the new Jerusalem, eternal, unshakable. We long for that lasting city. Even as we long, we thank you for this simple song. We give thanks to you for David, that songwriter by your call made king, who would become Establish a line through whom would come the king. We give thanks for the people. We give thanks for the people who David hears with their call and the priestly voice as they ascend the steps. Lord, we give thanks for the people. And we give thanks for Jerusalem, that city so long ago established by your chosen King David, and for the worship. That preserved for us words of the holy, word of the holy God, and that from that place has gone out news, good news that have reached our ears. And today we hear the call let us go up to the house of the Lord. Lord, we give thanks to you for all of these things, and we pray that that call, along with the whole of this psalm, would do its work in your people this morning. That you would be present with us by your word and by your spirit. Move, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our Savior and King, we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to look at the psalm in its three sections. If you have your Bibles open, and I hope you do, you'll see that it 's divided in most of our scriptures into three sections, and they are very helpful. And I pray that in our time in Psalm 122 today, that the Lord would grant and renew a gladness among the people of Cross Point Coast for gathering as His saints to worship His great name. I'll say it again. I long, I pray, Lord God, create gladness in the people in this room today. We're going to begin by looking at verses 1 and 2. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within the gates, O Jerusalem. And now we long to gather, to gather as a people of worship. I was glad, it says. I was glad glad. Ligon Duncan, in preaching on this passage, he says, every call come is itself a call of grace because what we deserve is to hear God say, go, go away. You may not come into my presence. That would be right and good and just. And holy for the Lord to say to a people who would presume to gather in his name. Sinners like you and me. Sinners who have to confess whatever it is that you found yourself confessing. Self-righteousness or self-condemnation. There in your seats just a little while ago. But instead a word of grace goes out. And the word is come or let us go. To the house of the Lord. That itself is good news. We haven't gotten to how in the world that happens. all right? And that's the fullness and the fulfillment of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's good news that the call comes from our God. Let us come. We must go no further in this psalm before we remember the gospel. We say it every week at the beginning of the service. We said it again today in the call to worship. We gather in the name of the Lord and by His grace alone. We do not presume because there are chairs and walls and a TV and microphones and some people running around busy before some other people who come late that somehow the Lord would ever receive us because of His grace that we gather. Having seen Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, and His work on the cross, we gather as a people who know the final and sufficient means by which an unclean people may go in the presence of the Holy God. We've heard good news come, and we know how. And so the content of our song, having gathered, begins to fill up With the name Jesus. Let us go to the house of the Lord with the name Jesus now on our lips. I want to take a second, even with Jesus already called to mind, to to pay attention to this psalm in its immediate context. You'll notice at the beginning of the psalm, there's a note, a song of ascents of David. This is a psalm of David, up until the reign of King David, the Ark of God, had wandered through the wilderness, across the Jordan, from town to town, and camp to camp. The Ark of God, the the mercy seat, the, the dwelling place of the presence of God, among the people of God, and each encampment set up at the center of the people of God. In each place it had traveled from place to place with, with never a, a hope of resting there. In all its travels, never had the ark come into a city with a hope of a, of a permanent place for, for the presence of God to dwell among the people of, of God. But now, now God had given the city, formerly known as Salem of the Jebusites, into the hand of King David, now known as Jerusalem, the city of peace. And with the city, God was fulfilling a promise to give to the people a permanent place of worship. Now, at the time of King David, we have the tabernacle and the promise and the preparation for the building of the temple under David's son, Solomon. Now, God had given the city into the hands of David for the establishment of his place among the people of God. So when we hear that David was glad, it's more than that he's simply glad that on a particular day he heard the priests or the people saying, come on, David, we're going up. We're going up to worship. It's a bigger context than that. He's saying, look, people, I'm glad because God's provided a city. And the people have received that city. And so even as as God has given the city into the hand of David, he's glad because he sees the people coming into the city to do what God gave the city for, which is worship. And David is glad. David says, I was glad when they said to me because... For David, that means the people have gathered in this newly established city and accepted it as God's chosen place for worship. The city's doing what the city's supposed to do. And David's glad. And he's a psalmist. He's a songwriter. And the songs are getting sung. They're being sung to the one to whom they were written. And there's gladness. John Calvin puts it this way: I take light, delight in the company of those. Oh, listen to this: in the company of those who allure me to the service of God, and offer themselves to me as companions that we may go to the sanctuary together. Do you not long for a people who would allure you to the presence of God and go? with us together as companions. We are partners, partakers, and participants in that good news. Let us go, the psalm says. Let us go. Now, I've offered this definition of a disciple in the past. A disciple, the beginning of the definition that I would offer, a disciple is one among many disciples. You'll notice I didn't tell you what a disciple is, but I told you one of the most important things for us to remember because it's something that we so very often forget in our hyper-individualized culture. And friends, I'm not excluding the church from that. We need to hear that a disciple is definitionally one among many disciples. Our gathering is more than an obedience that I have gathered or an expectation that I would benefit from my attendance. It's a joy that we are together in the presence of the Lord, glad in unified agreement to worship God according to His command as a people together, gathered in His name, gathered by His grace, and gathered As his people. Friends, those are three essential components of any claim that God would be in our midst, gathered in his name, by his grace, and as his people. Friends, this is to the glory of God. It's why it's so essential. The story, the gospel, the good news that we celebrate is not merely that I have been saved but that I have been connected by the Lord's salvation into a community of worship. It's not just a story of my rescue or your rescue. It's a story of the gathering of worshiping people. Let us go. Again, John Calvin says, By this example we are taught that our joy... Our joy in like manner should be doubled when God by His Holy Spirit not only frames each of us to the obedience of His Word, but also produces the same effect upon others that we may be united together in the same faith. Our longing, part of our joy, what would as First John tells us what would make our joy complete is the increase of our fellowship together in Christ. Or, as Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25 say, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It is as though we have, in our hyper-individualistic culture, it's as though we have interpreted that passage as about a command to an individual to be fulfilled by an individual. like that. The purpose of that is to just get you up in the morning to do what God told you to do. It's not the purpose. It's not even the words. Let us consider, like wake up in the morning and think, hmm, consider how to stir one another up. That's your business. Your business is how do we stir up the church to love and good works. It is automatic that he says. Not neglecting to meet together. How in the world are you going to stir one another up in Christ if you are not what? Together in Christ. Come on now. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day draw near. David says he's standing in Jerusalem. I wonder how long he stood. He said, Come on, we're within the gates. Let's get busy. This city has a purpose. It's not for my palace. Lord, can we build a temple? Come on, we've been standing in the gates. And now, finally, I hear the call to worship. Let's continue. Verses 3-5. through five. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. That same language is used of the knitting of the tents, the, the, the cloth of the tabernacle together. So it's knit together as though it were a whole. It's, it's bound firmly together, knit together. Unity is the image to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. What I see in this passage is worship, but I also see justice. Do you not? Thanksgiving, worship, justice, and thrones. Jerusalem became the location of God's priests, and it became the location of God's king. The servants at the temple, and God's servant on the throne. The people go up. Language is there. It's a It's a a technical term. To go up doesn't just mean to walk somewhere. It means worship. When you hear go up, you're going up to worship. The servants go up for worship, and they gather for justice. After all, this is the city of peace. They seek justice in the presence of of the Lord. The Israelite people were right to go up to Jerusalem for these twin purposes, worship and justice. So my question is this, where ought we go? Ought we go up? And where do we seek justice? Where do a new covenant people of God go where do we look what is our expectation friends we should not be surprised to find that the book of hebrews is incredibly helpful for us in understanding all of the psalms and particularly this question the book of hebrews is incredible i every week believe it or not no matter how long the sermons get there's a lot that's left on the table and this week there's a lot of quotations from hebrews that are left on the table But I'll give you this one for now. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. But you have come. This is speaking to the New Covenant people. The people who have received the gospel have seen the promises of the Old Covenant fulfilled in Christ. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Well, that's interesting. Really? The heavenly Jerusalem. And to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Ah, there's, the festival is still going on in the heavenly Jerusalem. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God. The judge of all. Well, isn't that interesting? And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Friends, in the new covenant, inaugurated by the fulfilled promises of Jesus, the Messiah, we still look to Jerusalem Not the sign and shadow that pointed us to the eternal city, but the eternal city itself, the heavenly Jerusalem. And friends, it's hopping, right? There's a lot going on in that place. From angels in festal gathering and people enrolled as the firstborn from among the dead. Guys, we have an amazing city to look to. And we gather not by means of sacrifices that we have brought over miles as we have journeyed to the city. We don't even bring ourselves as living sacrifices. As though we in ourselves were sufficient. Rather, we gather as a people by the blood of Jesus Christ. And in Him, a people of worship. A people who seek the presence of God out for justice. This is the people who enter in. There is an already and not yet to our gathering that leaves a continued longing among the gathered people of God. We gather as people filled by the Spirit of God, as a people redeemed by grace. Do we? Don't just let me say it. Do we gather in that manner? Are we the people who are redeemed by grace? Is this how we gather? And we have a promise that the Lord is with us even to the end of the age. And yet, we still long for that perfect, immutable city that is to come. He's with us to the end of the age. And then we say, then what? Then what? And so, we do well to remember that future day, to gather in expectation as the Apostle John retelling his vision of the final day in which God's dwelling place comes to be among men. Jesus is with us until the end of the age. Then what? Well, Revelation chapter 21. It's an extended passage, and it's amazing. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven... And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Why are we talking about this? Where were we? Somewhere in Psalm 122 or something. What, what, what was the call there? Well, a people who are going up to worship and a people who are going to Jerusalem for justice. Friends, there's no greater version of justice than a justice where tears, tears are wiped away and death is no more. I want to go to Jerusalem. I want to see the heavenly city. There's a new day coming. Central to the hope of that new day is the presence of the Lord among his people. The tribes go up, our passage says. What is worship? I would offer this definition of worship for you. There's a number of ways that we could define it. For today, we'll simply say worship is living, or worship is life in the presence of the Holy God. Life through the sufficient sacrifice of Christ with an attitude of reverence and awe. But what I want you to hear this morning is worship is a life that is lived in the presence of the Holy God through the sacrifice of Christ. It's the goal of worship that we would simply get to live in the presence of the Holy God. And it's in that place, as a people who get to live with God with us, Emmanuel forever, it's in that place, songs are easy. Songs, praise, and worship in song, worship in exclamation, new songs forever are easy. They're easy Many of you know that uh, last Tuesday I got a call during an elders meeting from my brother that my dad was moved into ICU, with congestive heart failure, by the early morning he had passed away. In the, those few hours, my dad had a clarity he hadn't had for a long time as he suffered from dementia. And there was a pastor who was with him in the room with my brother and his wife, and uh, the pastor asked him this question when he first came in. He asked him... John, do you sing? He was thinking maybe they could sing a hymn or something together. And my dad said very rightly, no. All right, good answer. Dad's clear thinking at that moment. All right, no, I don't sing. My brother put on some music anyway because my dad did enjoy music. He just didn't sing. At some point during the course of the hymns that were playing, my dad was belting it out, singing loudly. I'd seen my dad do this before, and I can tell you, My dad answered rightly, No, he does not sing. Something else, altogether. And the pastor was confused, and he asked my dad after the song. He was he's a great guy, very gentle and and humorous in a non-humorous moment, you know. He asked Dad, I thought you didn't sing. And he said simply, When something's true, you just gotta sing it. Friends, when you're in the presence of the Holy God, you're in the presence of truth. And you just got to sing it. That's our eternity. You see, presence is life in the presence of the Holy God, whether you're a singer or not. And then occasionally we, we look over and we see the truth. And it rings. And we begin To sing. I know that personally myself. I'm not a crier. Some of you are like, yeah, you are. You like cry at the benediction every week, sir. You ask my family. I I don't cry very much. I don't cry in sad movies. I don't cry about sad things. There's one thing that makes me cry, and it's when truth sounds, it rings, and the soul has to sing with that. Ligand Duncan puts it this way. Our zeal for public worship as believers ought to excel, ought to exceed the zeal of the worshipers of the Old Covenant. Well, that's interesting. No Israelite of the Old Covenant, that is, ought to be able to give us a run for our money in gathering with the people of God to worship Him. Because we have seen the one that all the types and all the shadows of the Old Testament pointed to. We've seen the fulfillment of all the prophecies and all the promises of the Old Testament. And our zeal should exceed the zeal of those Israelites under the Old Covenant. Friends, listen why. Not because we are more holy. When was the last time you walked a hundred miles to worship? Not because you are more dedicated. But because we've seen more of His holiness revealed. We've seen the truth more fully. And friends, the saints who have gone before us, they see it more fully now. And our song rises. It's the sight of the Lord that calls forth and fills up our worship. We ought not to be as those who say, oh, Let us gather and worship and pray less days of the week. I'm busy. Our family is busy. Life is so full, you know. And everybody knows that's true, right? Life is so full. You can say it. How's it been? It's been busy. Oh, yeah, I know. Sunday, of course. But that's about all we have time for. Friends, if our worship, if the worship of the people of God is not our heart's desire, is not the the center of our gladness, In all our gatherings, you are wrong to say your life is full. Your life is empty. It is a vapor and it will pass away. It is a life that is lived in the presence of the holy God that is full. And filling up as we see him. The decree, the passage says, the decree in verse 4 is to give thanks to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Let us remember that this is the call to go up. It's not something that we have to feel like doing. If we wake up in the morning and feel like we have energy to get the family going, if it's not too busy of a week or we aren't just looking for a day off for a weekend's vacation or a day at Disney, then perhaps, if I feel like it, I'll gather with God's people to sing of his grace. The, gather, the call to gather is a decree with no conditions. All the conditions have been met by Christ in his grace. You don't have to think about whether or not you have time this week. Eugene Peterson says it this way. We think that if we don't feel something, there's no authenticity to it. But the wisdom of God says something different, that we act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we feel our, our way into a new way of acting. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. When we obey the commands to praise God in worship, our deep, essential need to be in relationship with God is nurtured. Friends, I would go one step further. I think that's a little bit pragmatic. It's true. It's it's essentially human that we act our way into what we feel. Or one of the things that my dad taught me was that we love the things we love. We love the things that we get busy sacrificing for. It's natural. It's human. Sacrificed for the sake of the one who is worthy. And you will find yourself loving him. It's very natural. But I think it's far more than that. Something far more miraculous. That there is promise that comes with the word that is declared among the people of God. And the praises that rise up among the people of God that stirs us up to love and good works. That's the design of God, that His Word and Spirit would work in the midst of His people. We need to keep moving. We'll move on to the last section, verses 6 through 9, where the call rings clear. Pray. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem exclamation point may they be secure who love you this is a prayer for peace it is a new way to live to live as a people who pray for peace the fact That we still await the perfect and eternal establishment of the new Jerusalem among God's people means that we are a people dependent upon the promise of God. We as a people who still wait, who still long, who still hope, who want to see Him face to face, who want to see the heavenly Jerusalem in our midst, are a dependent people, and so we pray. We pray for peace. We pray that the Lord would preserve His worship among His people. Lord God, do not disrupt the worship of Your people. I wonder, has that prayer risen up among the people this year? Our gathering has been disrupted. You've watched the elders. We think, validly so, and yet making every effort to gather it in whatever ways we can, knowing that the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God will yet work among His people. But have we prayed for peace? God, please, just give us two weeks in a row to gather like we used to in expectation for how we will. Peace, Lord. Jerusalem is the city of peace. Now let us be careful. Immediately our minds ought to go to the fact that Jesus is our peace. But let us be careful. We must not think that Jerusalem is the Israelites' peace and Jesus is the Christians' peace. We must not understand Christianity as a religion that steals the language and symbols of Judaism to conveniently apply to a Gentile religion. Friends, that's worse than heresy. It's kind of gross. And yet we, we act like that. We talk like that. We think like that quite often. It's, it's made its way into sort of our cultural way of thinking. Listen, Jesus is the son of David. Did you know that? He says, Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, born in a manger to a young Jewish virgin in fulfillment of promises that God made to those Jewish prophets long ago recorded for us in the Holy Scriptures, preserved for us by the saints who have gone before Jesus has caused the proclamation of the gospel to go out from Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. As the word is multiplied and increased throughout the earth, God is calling out a people from among every family of the earth, and he's gathering us. And he's gathering us not to an earthly city, but to his eternal presence, a city that cannot be shaken. The presence of the Lord has come not only as a city, but the presence of the Lord has come in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us. We've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's that glory that David was excited. He was glad to go up and worship. We gather in the name and to the praise of that same glory. God has been pleased to make himself dwell among us. Friends, I just want to step aside for just one moment before we continue and say... It was one of the errors that were among the people of Jerusalem when God began to call down through Jeremiah and others of the prophets in Jerusalem as he would begin to warn them and call them to repentance one of the things that the false prophets would say oh but we have the temple we have we are the people of the temple so we're safe and the prophet said no you're not <laughs> Actually, the covenant itself that calls for the peace of Jerusalem also comes with a warning for those who would presume upon the presence of God and think that they were safe in their prosperity. We have the temple. We're the church. Friends, it's not the temple, and it's not that we go around calling ourselves a church that gives us peace. It is only that God has been pleased to make himself known to us, to declare his grace and call us as a people of faith. That's our only hope. Jesus, the very presence of God, for in him, Colossians 1, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so he has been pleased to dwell also by grace to dwell among us. This is the gospel that has gone out to the ends of the earth, that Jesus has brought the hope of the presence of God to all peoples of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And friends, it is an act of grace that has brought word of peace to your ears. You do not deserve it. I do not deserve it. But grace has come to my ears. And worked into my heart. And God has granted the gift of faith. Ephesians 2, verses 13 and 14. But now in Christ, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, the Messiah. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility to summarize what do we pray for. What do we pray for when we pray for peace? We pray, Jesus, come. Let us worship. Let us see you and respond in song and show us the grace and mercy of your justice in your person and work and your promise and hope. The passage closes with two instructions. We do this. We pray for peace. In verse 8, For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, Peace be with you. We pray for the peace of the church of God, for the people of God. Not simply comfort, but the sort of peace that results in the flourishing of the church's mission. What do you pray for when you pray for peace? Listen to Jesus' own words. He's about to launch into the high priestly prayer. And this is what's on his mind. In the last words of chapter 16, before launching into the the high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The prayer for peace is, Lord, cause us to take heart in you. Cause your church to take refuge in our many troubles. When the enemies assail when it looks as though your church would not overcome the gates of hell, cause us to take heart and continue to press. Jesus and his gospel is our peace. We pray for peace so that our mission would be accomplished in this world for the sake of our lost brothers whom we go proclaiming the gospel to find and for the sake of our brothers and sisters who are proclaiming that gospel here and around the world. We pray for peace for the mission, that it would be successful. And our prayer for peace is a prayer of dependence. God, give us the sword of peace such that we never forget the Lord our God. I would like to give you a verse. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I would like to have you write down and read this week Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 19. Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 19. It's a difficult passage to read. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and statutes which I command you this day. And then he begins to launch into, did you think it was because you were cool (laughs) that you had prosperity, that you had peace, and so on? Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. That's the sort of peace to pray against. God, I pray for the sort of peace for the people of Cross Point Coast that keeps us dependent upon you. And we pray for the sake of the house of the Lord, for the sake of worship, the gathering of the redeemed people of God, for the sake of the worship of God. God, thank you for giving us a place where we can worship in more than relative peace. Thank you, Lord. I would guess, Lord, that... We've fallen into some complacency in that, cause us to be dependent. But Lord, preserve the peace so that we might continue to gather as your people. And I will seek your good, he says at the end of the passage. I would give you just a few scriptures to write down if you would like. I'll only quote a few. What does it mean to seek your good? It's everywhere in the New Testament. I found nine with about five minutes of searching. Romans 14:19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. I'll seek the good of the church. First Corinthians 14:26, Ephesians 4:15 through16. Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 5:11. Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. don't stop and we've already read it together, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I uh, would read to you uh, a, or share with you a, a um, story from my son's days of taking violin with, I believe his name was Igor, sound about right? And um, others of you are familiar with him as well. One day, my son walked in to his violin lesson. No, this is not his story. This is actually another person who took lessons from the same person. Walked in to uh, Igor, walked in a bit late. And I wish I could be so bold as to say this to you. So I'll let Igor say it instead. After arriving late, his words were, What would preclude you? From arriving on time. (laughs) Well, you got to think for a second. Let me consider, Mr. Igor, maybe I will never arrive late again. I would ask you this What would preclude you from the worship among the household of God? I have answers because I know what has precluded me, and you do too, my guess is, just like my answers, they're insufficient. Ought we to be more glad when we hear the call, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you in Christ have removed every barrier that would preclude us from gathering as your people. There is no barrier that remains. Even in this time in in which we gather, even virtually via a live stream, we long for the day when that live stream can be shut down, and now we give thanks that we've been able to gather in that way. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you would cause us to consider that our minds would begin to spin on how to stir one another up, how to do good, seek the good for God's people. Lord, I pray that more than just a renewed commitment to a gathering of worship among this people, more than that, a new longing a new gladness, a new thanksgiving would be birthed by your Spirit and Word in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for this miracle to leave behind other passions, other excuses, other preclusions, to worship your name and seek your justice. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.